Thank you, worship team. I uh, just want to take a couple minutes and reflect on what happened on Friday, if I may, before we open up God's Word. Um, Friday, after almost 50 years and millions of babies dead, the Roe versus Wade decision was overturned by the Supreme Court. This is certainly a victory for the cause of life, and we thank God for it. I, uh, I called Catherine Woods of the Pregnancy Resource of Delaware County and thanked her personally. By the way, uh, I talked to Catherine on the phone, and she had just gotten off the phone with Kimra Sutton. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Anyway, I called Catherine to thank her personally for the work that she and her staff had done and will carry on as the battle for us turns from Washington, D.C. now to Columbus. Uh, I want to share with you some ways that I'm processing this news in hopes that it will be helpful to you. Um, so these are my thoughts, my reflections. Um, I may be out of line, but um, I hope these are helpful. Two things, basically. Number one, life is precious. And that message is desperately needed today. Every single human being is a precious creation of God. And it will do us well to recapture the awe and wonder of God's design. A man and a woman form a family in a marriage. And the fruit of that union is often the conception, carrying, birth, and growth to maturity of children when the process then repeats itself. Abortion was not, abortion was a symptom. It was the fallout of an already dehumanized, an already dehumanizing sexual revolution that happened in our history. We as Christians need to remind people that the beauty and sanctity of human life extends far beyond not aborting an unborn child. The beauty and sanctity of human life is fully realized when we stop living for self and begin to live serving others driven by the love of God who laid down the life of his only son to rescue us and redeem us from our sin. If we fail to fully realize the sanctity of human life, things like Uvalde will continue to, to occur. I'm not just talking about the shooter, but also the officials who failed to carry out their duty in favor of self. So life is precious. Secondly, and this is maybe, I don't know, you might fault me for this being inappropriate from the pulpit, uh, I'm just trying to share with you how I'm processing this news. Our country was conceived with the simple idea that we would have honest and robust debates about sensitive topics before we encode them into law. An idea must be acceptable by a majority of our elected representatives in the House of Representatives and then in the Senate and then signed into, president by the, signed into law by the President of the United States. Even if an idea becomes a law, it must be consistent with our U.S. Constitution because the Supreme Court acts as a backstop to not allow unconstitutional laws to stand. When efforts to make new laws grounded in robust debate and a majority vote that are consistent with the Constitution have failed, we have resorted as a people to backdoor tactics. For the entire span of my life, the Supreme Court justices have succumbed to the temptation to create law, and that was never the role, and that was never their design. 
Today, as Americans, we have important things that we need to talk about. There are movements all around us trying to short-circuit the idea that we need to reach agreement before we force someone to act a certain way under penalty of the force exerted by the U.S. government. I hope and pray that Friday was the beginning of a reset for us all, for something to stand as law over time in this country we must reach agreement as people, not agreement among nine, nine unelected uh, judges. Anyway, that's how I'm processing it. These are my thoughts. Um, and again, I just hope that they're somewhat helpful to you. Uh, I'm going to kind of talk about that as we work our way through our text today. So if you would take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 8. Uh, Acts chapter 8 the, uh, we're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch today. You know what's going on here. Uh, the gospel is being spread. Uh, it's outside Jerusalem now because of the persecution and execution of Stephen. The gospel is now on the move, and it's, it's been in Samaria. Philip the evangelist uh, was able to share the good news, baptize a lot of people. We, he had the whole thing with Simon the magician, which we studied last week. And today, he's just going to carry on doing, Philip the Evangelist, that is, is going to carry on serving the Lord. So the big question that we're going to wrestle with today is this. What can we learn about the spread of the gospel from the account of the Ethiopian eunuch? And really, what we're going to talk about today is something called personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. The idea that we, each one of us, each one of you, carry with you the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what do you, now you carry it with you already. What are you going to do with it? That's the question. And the Ethiopian eunuch, the, the account of the Ethiopian eunuch, gives us some good steps to live by. So let's work our way through this text this morning. Step one is to follow God's leading. Let's look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? So stop right there. First, uh, there's going to be some geographical things happen in this, in this text, so I want to kind of show you the geography, uh, before we get to Matthew, show you the geography of, of what's happening. This map attempts to show, if you're familiar with the land of Israel, uh, attempts to show these journeys that Philip is taking. He is, uh, last we heard from him, he was in Samaria, okay? He's in Samaria up in the north, the region north of Judea. Samaria is a region, Judea is a region. And the Lord comes to him and says, uh, you know, the angel of the Lord says, I want you to go to Gaza. And that's all the way down there in the south. Now, in ancient history, in the time that David, King David, was operating on the earth, um, you had the, the, the country of Israel, but then Gaza was one of the five cities of the Philistines scattered there along the coast. And uh, mortal enemies of David and Israel for many, many years were the Philistines. And so, 
Philip is instructed to leave Samaria, basically go through Judea and all the way down to Gaza, which is, uh, as it says in the text, a desert place. Later on, and I'm just putting the map up now so you can see it, later on he's going to be teleported, yes, I think that's right, uh, to Azotus, and uh, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, and then he's going to settle in Caesarea. And we're going to see many, many chapters later, I think in Acts chapter 20 or, or so, we're going to see, uh, Philip the evangelist is going to reappear again in the text, and by that time he's been in Caesarea uh, maybe 20 years, and, um, uh, and has daughters that are active in the ministry as well. So this is the, this is the route. He's in Samaria spreading the gospel there. He, God directs him to go down to Gaza, and then he works his way back up along the coast where he settles in Caesarea. An angel of the Lord, according to the text, an angel of the Lord and the Holy Spirit directed Philip to this place, to this person, right? To Gaza, that was step one. The angel told him to go to Gaza, and then the Holy Spirit said, go up to that chariot, right? And so that's what he did. Are there, so, so here's the question. Are there any lessons there for us today? And my answer to that question is, yeah, but not the way people yeah, not, but some, not the way some people think there are, okay? And I'll explain that in just a minute. Um, but first, let's look at the revealed Word of God and what, what God's Word, what He has already said, what He's already spoken, teaches us about our mission on this earth, right? Matthew 28, 19, 20, you know these passages of Scripture. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and I'm and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 constitutes what we call the mission statement of the church, right? Uh, what we are to be about today is to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that by teaching, by baptizing, right? Knowing that God is with us. Um, and in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, we also read, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the God, man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay. We might read the leading of the angel and the leading of the Holy Spirit for Philip and conclude that that's what we need to do today. We need to ask God to send an angel to tell us what to do next, right? We need to ask, listen for the Holy Spirit to tell us what to do next. But track with me here for just a minute. Philip is operating at a time where there is no such thing as the New Testament. It's not written yet. What he has access to is the Old Testament, right? So what Jesus has taught and everything has not all been written down yet. And so Philip is living in a different time. And let me just ask you this one last question before I make my point, which is this. Would you rather... Let's, let's talk about your boss at work. Would you rather your boss give you one instruction and one instruction only at a time? I mean, it sounds pretty easy, right? But what if your, what if your boss said, I want you to write a, a letter to a client and I want you to tell that client that we hate you now and we don't want to do business with you anymore. Now you might say to your boss, wait a minute, what are we doing here? This is like one of our key accounts. Why are, why are we brushing them off now? That's not for you to know. Write the letter, right? 
That's pretty hard, right, for us to do. In other words, when, when Abraham was commanded by God to leave his family and his land and go to a place that God would show him sometime in the future, that took a lot of faith, right? It took a lot of faith to do that, and yet um, that's exactly what he did. Or would you rather your boss set you down and say, look, um, we've just got this explosion of new clients. They're very good clients, very robust clients. We've got three new clients, and we can't possibly serve some of the folks that we've served in the past on the same level. They're smaller. Let's, we're going we're gonna to get rid of them. We, you know, so write them a letter and tell them. In other words, we are operating our lives today with God's word that he has graciously given us. We know what our mission here is. We know even God has revealed to us, not maybe, and, and you know, Pastor Brad <laughs> knew this for a long time. The, the Bible doesn't reveal who Pastor Brad is going to marry, right? It never revealed that. It never gave her name. All Pastor Brad knew was that he was looking for a, a, a young lady, a woman who is a Christian and a particular, you know, of a particular set of beliefs and character. And that's what the Lord has provided, right? It's amazing. So, but God has given us enough in his word so that we know many things. We know ultimately how this thing is going to turn out. We don't know the details of how we're going to get there, but we know how this thing is going to turn out. And so we are blessed, I would say, even above Philip the evangelist. And so we're faced with a situation today where we have the same mission as Philip to go and make disciples of all nations, but we're in a different set of circumstances because God has spoken right? We know the big picture because he has graciously revealed it to us in his word. Our problem, our problem today, not Philip's problem, because Philip, you know, the angel says, get up and go to Gaza. He's got to go, it's like, really, Lord? I got to go all the way through Samaria. I got to go all the way back through uh, Judea, and I'm going to go down to one of the old Philistine cities. Really, Lord? No, he gets up and he goes to Gaza. Our problem today is obedience, we know our mission. We have the Bible. But will we share it with someone? I've seen churches. I've seen church movements. I've seen church leaders get so caught up in seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit or seeking some sort of a sign from God, God, show us what to do, while they ignore what the Bible says right in front of their face. And so we have to resolve ourselves uh, to be about God's work that he's told us to do. We don't have a guidance problem, in other words. We have an obedience problem. Now, in connection to uh, the decision that was made on Friday, I, can I just say this? I don't think that, I think that God's word uh, teaches us, for example, how to use our words. We are to use our words to build one another up, right? And so I don't think this is a time for us to go out into the culture and, and gloat over the overturning of Roe v. Wade, right? I don't think it's a time for us to gloat because there are people out there that are really upset about it, right? Our, our job should be to try to lead them into the truth lovingly, gently, um, because that's what God has told us in his word to do. In other words, it's not to go and, and puff up ourselves. Oh, look, we won this battle. Woo, aren't we great? No, our job is to execute the plan that God has given us to make disciples. And how can we do that with this particular person who happens to be quite upset by the decision that was made on Friday? 
I'm, t- I'm promising you that person is not going to respond well to you gloating. <laughs> we won that one. Supreme Court finally got it right. That's not going to fly well. That's not going to lead them to Christ. Step two, <clears throat> seek a person of peace. We've talked about this before, but um, I think this is very well illustrated in the Ethiopian eunuch. Look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. Uh, let me back up to 30. So Philip ran to, and heard, ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can, I, how can I unless someone guides me? And he, the eunuch, invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This man, let's, let's back up a little bit and talk about this guy, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. It says that he was uh, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. This guy was an important guy. He was probably a wealthy man. He was probably a powerful man. And he was probably an educated man, right? And yet, what does the text tell us that he was doing up there in the north, right? Uh, By the way, he was probably, you know, he's probably a black man. You know, he's from Ethiopia. um, And he probably had, you know, dark complected skin. He had come up, it says in the text, to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. He had already been to Jerusalem to worship God. Now, what's this tell us? This tells us a few things. Number one, it tells us that this educated, powerful, maybe wealthy man, that his wealth, his power, and his education did not satisfy him, that he was still seeking for the truth seeking for God. And he he made the trek to the point that he made the trek all the way from Ethiopia, all the way up to Jerusalem to worship God. And he was on his way back. Second thing that we learn in the text is he's reading the, the, the prophet Isaiah. And so some, maybe, I don't know, this is speculation on my part, but perhaps when he visited uh, Jerusalem, he acquired a copy of the text. And if you know anything, Amazon.com was not invented yet for you kids. So he didn't just like get on his smartphone and, and order up Isaiah, you know. He had to probably at great expense pay for a hand copied, I don't know if it was in Greek, I don't know if it was in Hebrew, I don't know which version that he got, but he, he had to probably pay for this is the this is the level that this guy was seeking. He made this treacherous journey to worship God in Jerusalem. He expended some money to buy a copy of Isaiah, and now he's sitting there trying to figure out what does this mean? He was a seeker. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 10, just for a few seconds here. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 12 to 15. Jesus said this to the, to the disciples as he was sending them out. He says, As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable, more bearable on the day of judgment, um, on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. In this world that we live in, we're going to encounter 
basically two different groups of people as we approach non-Christians. Those that are open to hear what we have to say and those that are not. And some of those that are not may even be violently opposed. Not, they, they, don't, they don't want to hear it. And, and they'll make it very clear to you very quickly that they don't want to hear anything that you have to say. I think that God's word and this text, that God's word says it, this text illustrates it, that we're going to spend our time in conversation with those that want to hear, that are seeking, that have legitimate questions and we're trying to help them find the truth, find the answers. What do we do for those people that are resistant, that are, that are hostile to the gospel? Well, I think the best thing we can hope to do is pray for them, ask God to open up their minds, and when we do have an opportunity to speak to them, to, to maybe ask a thought-provoking question to get, to get them thinking, right? But um, we're not going to be able to sit down and, and have meaningful conversation with folks that don't want to hear. This man, this eunuch, wants to hear. And this is the, this is the man that God has sent Philip the evangelist to come and meet with. And I just want to talk about that for a minute. I want to talk about, let's consider for a moment the love of God for the giver and the receiver of this news. Philip. He's been operating in Samaria. He's now made his way down, and he's witnessing to this Ethiopian eunuch. He's had some success up in Samaria. He's, he's spread the good news, and he's even baptized some people. Someday, Philip's going to be, you know, someday Philip dies, and he goes to be with the Lord, and he's up there with the Lord, and he looks around, and he sees some of the faces, right? He sees some of the people, that God so graciously gave him a part of the ministry of the good news too. I don't know about you, but when I read Jesus' words where it says, do not lay up for yourself treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but instead build up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal, that's what I think of. I think of getting up to be with the Lord someday and looking around and seeing the faces of people that God so graciously gave me an opportunity. He didn't have to do that, but he gave me an opportunity to have some sort of influence over that person's life for good, for the Lord. Perhaps even gave me the opportunity to lead them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That is amazing. And God is giving Philip that opportunity. But also look at the, the love of God on, that's been showered on this Ethiopian eunuch. He took Philip from Samaria, where he was having fruitful ministry, and, he, and he, he made him go all the way to Gaza and go up to this chariot and say, hey, what you reading there? <laughs> Do you understand it? So that God could reach that Ethiopian with the good news of Jesus Christ. And he responded. Church history, church history isn't infallible, you know, the books that people write are not perfect, but church history tells us that that Ethiopian eunuch went back and he carried the gospel with him. You know, the Bible in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says that in Acts 1 9, Jesus said that you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is one of those situations where the ends of the earth, that's what the Romans considered Ethiopia, by the way, the ends of the earth. Uh, the, the ends of the earth came to them, right? The, the Ethiopian came to, towards Jerusalem. And so they, he witnessed to him, but he carried that message back with him. And uh, his church history tells us that, that uh, people were saved as a result of that. All right, 
So, you got it? Step one. Step one, follow God's leading. It's written down in His Word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We've, we can see it, we can read it, we can understand it. Step two, seek a person of peace. Step three, focus on the good news of Jesus Christ. Focus on the good news of Jesus Christ. I, I, this is an argument from silence, so it's really bad logic, but Philip doesn't bring up, hey, what's going on politically with uh, Ethiopia right now, and how's Ethiopia's foreign policy to Israel and vice versa and all this kind of stuff, and what, are, what do you guys think about the Roman Empire? He focuses his attention on the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, it's true. Well, let's just read uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 32. Now he, now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch asked, or the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? Uh, let me guess. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then, the, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture... So beginning in Isaiah 53, which is what this is, he began to tell him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? The, Philip doesn't discuss any of the issues of the day. Philip is simply there to address the questions that this eunuch has about God, about Jesus. And the eunuch asks a really good question because that passage in Isaiah 53 does point not to anyone, not to himself or anyone local to that time, but he's pointing forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Philip begins, I mean, the, Philip, the, the, the eunuch actually throws him a pretty good softball, right? But Philip understands and he begins with that passage to explain to him Jesus Christ. Just a few passages to consider here. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. John 3.16, you know this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The focus that Philip had was on Jesus, on helping this man understand who Jesus was. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says this, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something here, and I'm going to maybe step on some toes, and I mean to. So just there. Uh, again, I point you to the situation. This is a, a rich man, a powerful man, an educated man. The, the eunuch. He has left his home country to travel up to Jerusalem to worship God. He's seeking. Now he's on his way back. I'm guessing if he's anything like most rich, wealthy, educated men, rich, uh, powerful, wealthy, educated men, that he's on a timeline, that he's got to get back to the court of Candace for business, right? That he's got stuff to do. And so 
Philip does not have the time, I'm guessing, to do this. Hey, eunuch, here. Let's go see the apostles. Let's go back to Jerusalem. They'll explain everything to you. I don't really know much. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but... Uh, I, come on, let's go. I've already been to Jerusalem. Look, I, dude, I got to get back to Ethiopia. I've got business to, to attend to. I don't have time. He didn't have time for that. Philip had to explain it himself. We who are followers of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility to take this thing that God has so graciously given us called the Bible and to, to spend our lives understanding it. For our own soul's sake, but also for when the moment happens, when God puts you in the situation where there's a seeker and they have legitimate questions that you don't go, you know what, come with me. Let's go get Pastor Scott. Let's go, Pastor Aaron. Pastor Brad, he just got married. Let's get him. He'll, he'll know. One of the elders, they'll figure it out. I don't know. My... You can do this. Here's what it takes. It takes, you're not going to sit down and read your Bible in one setting and go, okay, I know it. It just doesn't work that way. It takes daily intake and meditation, daily relationship with God in prayer. And dare I say that this, this, this book, as, as anything else in this life, is designed for this. Knowledge and application. Learn it and practice it. Learn it and practice it. I don't know any sports team down on the other end of the building where the, where the students got good at basketball by reading a book. On the other hand, I don't know any students that just learned by, uh, how to be good at basketball just by getting cardiovascular health and working on their shot without learning some plays. Knowledge, application. Learn the Bible, practice, put it into practice in your own life. And when God puts someone in your sphere who's seeking and they're like, I've got questions I don't know, you'll be able to help. You'll be equipped. Now, do you need help with that? I'm here. It's one of the reasons that the, the, the Lord gave elders to the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So if you need help with that, come see me, but be prepared. All right, let's move on to step four. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, where's verse 37? Look in your Bible. If you've got an ESV, it goes verse 36 and then verse 38. Now, if you've got a King James, you're all set, right? There is no verse 30, 37 in the ESV. Why is that? There is a verse 37 in the King James. Let me just read it to you. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why is this verse, this is just a pause here, why is this verse not in the English Standard Version. Here's why. In the, in the world of Bible interpretation and Bible study, there's this thing called textual criticism. And that's where we take all the ancient manuscripts that we've discovered over the years, including the Dead Sea Scrolls, all the ancient manuscripts, and we compare them with each other to make sure that they all jive together, right? And at the time when chapters and verse numbers were added to the Bible, around 1227... And at the time that the King James Bible was produced, around 1611, 
the manuscripts that we had available to us had this verse in it. But then later, older manuscripts, like the Alexandrian manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, many other manuscripts were discovered. And in the book of Acts, these, this verse was not there. So the theory is, the theory is, is that it was added by a scribe in, a, in an attempt to clarify something for the reader. Bible scholars, text critics, take kind of an approach that when in doubt, leave it out. And since this one verse doesn't change anything about our theology, anything about our understanding of Scripture, uh, the ESV editors decided to leave it out. So that's why your ESV Bible goes verse 36, 38. It's not that they can't count. Uh, it's just that this verse has uh, been contested. All right, step four. Invite people into the body of Christ. Look at verse 37, 38. Or, sorry, 36 and 38. And that when they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When you share the good news of Jesus Christ with, some, with someone else, we invite them into a relationship with God. We, we ask them, would you like to follow Jesus? Would you like to trust him to be the, your savior from sin and also the Lord of your life? Turn to Romans 10 just for a quick second. Romans chapter 10. It's the next chapter over, or next book over. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13, we read this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's what Philip is asking. He's asking, will you, are you trusting Jesus, right? For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It goes on to say, how will they call on him who they've not believed, and how will they believe on him if they've not, never heard, and how are they going to hear without someone preaching? See, this is God's this is God's means and method, right? This is God's way of doing things. He's given us his word, and we are to share that word with others. First Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Baptism is, as we learned last week, is the is the entryway, right? It's the it's the initiation into the body of Christ. It's basically a, a young person or an old person saying, going public and saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, and here is my public proclamation, symbolically, uh, symbolically represented in the death of oneself, go under the water, the burial under the water, and then the rebirth in new life in Christ coming out of the water. And that's exactly what happens here. 
Ephesians 4, we covered this last week, but there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Philip is calling this Ethiopian eunuch into a relationship with God in the body of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens. By the way, isn't that one of the symptoms of our culture today? The, the, thing, that's dr- the thing that drove the sexual revolution and then the eventual fallout of that, which is a, the road decision to, to provide, to make abortion basically a constitutional right, is that the um, folks do not know Christ. They don't understand what this life is all about. They're depending upon observational science to explain that which cannot be explained by observational science. Is that there is a God. And so their lives need to be transformed. And the only way that that can happen is by entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right. And then we say, finally, step five. Step five, repeat. Repeat. Look at verses 39 to 40. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he, and he the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, my name is Scott, so let's just address the elephant in the room. What in the world is this text of scripture all about where he is like tell you know it's like he baptizes him and then disappears or baptizes him and brings him out of the water and before the Ethiopian eunuch can clear his eyes and open him back up Philip is gone did he get transported like in Star Trek from there to Azotus is like the next it's it's the old Philistine city of Ascalon right it's the next Philistine city over did he just get transported miles and miles away well, here's my honest answer. I don't know. I could speculate. I'm just, I don't know. Here's, here's what I know. I serve a God that, in, that, that reveals himself in the following way. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God is plural. Elohim. God has revealed himself to us in a trinity. One God and three persons. That does not compute in my brain. And I think God did that on purpose to let us know something very fundamental about him. He's set apart from us. He's created us in his image and there's things about us that are like him, but there's a lot of things about him that ain't like us. And all I know, all I can even hope to speculate is that God is able to do something like this, number one, and that God must have wanted Philip he must have had an immediate need that's not recorded for us in Scripture to, tr- to teleport Philip or transport Philip to Azotus so that he could spread the gospel there, which is exactly what he was doing and exactly what he did. So chalk this one up to just being in awe of God. If God wants you in Ashley right now, boom, you're going to be in Ashley right now. Uh, don't, try to, don't try to work it out too much. All right. So what do we see? We see Philip, he's, he's been up in Samaria operating. He's 
led many people to Christ. He's baptized many people. Now he's down in Gaza. He's baptized this Ethiopian eunuch, this guy that's going to take the gospel with him back to Ethiopia. And, you know, can, is Philip going to say, you know what? <sighs> I think I'm done with this evangelism stuff, you know. I think I've, I've done my share for the kingdom. I'm just going to go retire now. Nope, 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 nope. He's, he's going to keep on going. He's going to keep on sharing the gospel. And I think he's going to end up settling in Caesarea because we're going to come back to him years later. But in, even in Caesarea, he is uh, spreading the good news. You know, the, the Bible says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is our task, right? This is our task to be about the proclamation of the good news. Galatians 6, 9 also says that let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We need to have a tenacity about us as Christians that when we go to someone or when we witness to someone and it just doesn't work out like it didn't with Simon the Magician, uh, when, when we get sand kicked in our face, metaphorically speaking, we just get up and we say, well, that didn't work, but perhaps the next time, or perhaps the next time, or perhaps the time after that. And we need to, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, in the road decision, that for years, People were just praying, 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 talking, talking, talking. They didn't give up. They didn't lay down. They, they kept on bearing witness. And um, it's, not a, it's not like the whole country came to Christ or anything, but eventually that tenacity paid off. And I think that if you will just, I'm sure that you have someone in your life that is just doesn't want to have anything to do with the gospel and doesn't want to listen to you talk about God right now. Keep praying. Keep living your life according to God's word before them let them see it keep bearing witness keep asking good questions and ask God to open their heart perhaps one day he will and you'll be there to share all right what's the answer to the big question today each follower of Jesus Christ is an ambassador who carries the good news of Jesus Christ with us in order to share it with others I think that's the lesson today from the Ethiopian eunuch there's a lot there. We have to, we have to look at those steps again and, and internalize them and, and resolve that we're going to live our lives in active obedience to God. But here's some practical things to think about in terms of, of application. Number one, uh, pick a few people. If this isn't your practice, I would encourage you and challenge you to make it your practice. Pick a few people who you know aren't Christians and begin to pray for them. Ask God to open up their hearts and minds to make them seekers um, you know, God is the only one that can really do that. Secondly, make a plan, if you haven't, or keep going with your plan, if you have, to learn the Bible. I was so happy after first service, somebody came up to me and uh, said, you know, I, I don't have a plan, and I'm, I'm just casting about in the Bible trying to figure things out, and it's very confusing to me. Will you help me? Absolutely. And I uh, was able to help that person out and get him on the right track. Uh, but again Philip did not have the luxury of, of saying to this Ethiopian eunuch come with me I'll, I'll introduce you to Peter <laughs> come with me I'll introduce you to one of the other apostles John maybe can help you out no he took the opportunity and he was ready 
So we have to be ready. And again, that's going to take consistent time in the Word and meditation upon it and application of it. And then this final call is just to practice obedience. Practice following through with, God has, with what God has said. If you're like me, you're probably not, but hopefully uh, maybe some of you are. There's a person in your life that God has given you opportunity to talk to. And at that moment, you didn't. And you regret it. What are you going to do about that, right? Are you going to adopt the mission of preaching the good news to the people that God ordains that you come into contact with? Are you going to adopt that as your mission and take it seriously? And, and men, you men, well, everyone out there, are you going to take it seriously as your job, right? Are you going to take it as seriously as your favorite hobby, right? Are you going to take the, the task of spreading the good news seriously and put it to action in your life? I would challenge you and encourage you to do that, not only because it will be good for you and a blessing to others, but it's the very reason why we are still here. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. We thank you for this account of the Ethiopian eunuch and all that it teaches us. Lord, help us to be uh, diligent to recognize when you've put someone in our sphere who needs to hear. And Lord, allow us to prepare ourselves. Help us to be diligent to prepare ourselves with the good news ourselves and putting it into practice in our own lives. Number one, so people will see a difference. But number two, that when they ask or when we have an opportunity to get into dialogue, we can say, I can help you confidently according to your word through your word. And then, Father, help us to practice obedience to you in carrying out this wonderful mission on the earth. You open the hearts and minds. We sow the seed and water it, and we watch you let it grow. And that's just a wonderful and awe-inspiring thing, Father. Thank you for that. Thank you for allowing us to be part of this mission. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.